pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny, episode 136. Today I'm going to chat with Hannah Billadeau from Sig Sauer, talk about political and personal reactions to the Fugaloo, and discuss ways women can conceal carry. I'm your host, Ava Flannell, and Hannah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, is everything going okay with uh, everything that's going on? I mean... To be continued on the answer on that one. I, I, uh, I think we're all just in a state of unknown at this point. It hasn't really set in. Nobody really knows what to do. Yeah. Um, including myself. So definitely. What state are you in? Uh, I live in Maryland. Um, and Sig Sauer is headquartered out of New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I've been to, um, like where Sig is in New Hampshire. What is that little town called? Um, so the town that the academy is in is Epping, and then headquarters, like where our manufacturing is, is Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely a cute little town. So it, so is Maryland, is it on lockdown or quote-unquote like stay-at-home? Yeah, so they have essential business only, but everything has been shut down for a good week. Gyms, um, you know, hair salons, you name it. Um, so pretty much just grocery stores are open here. But yeah, everything is pretty quiet. Yeah. Are you guys able to go outside and like hike? Yeah. Well, we, we're like nine miles from the White House. So we pretty much are city living, but, uh, we do have some great bike trails and have kind of transformed our garage into a gym. So <laughs> nice. Certainly spending our fair share of active time. Yeah. Cause that's, that's like really the only thing I have to look forward to is I meet up with my girlfriend and we walk around this lake. And it's kind of close to my house, but it's super ghetto and I would never go there otherwise. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's why I, you like have to go with a friend because you, you just wouldn't go by yourself, but it's like, you're so desperate to like get out and just get stretch out. your legs. So, yeah. And I think it's common trend. And honestly, it's, it's kind of nice when you do go out, you're like, wow, families are actually out doing what they should have been doing all along and yeah. kind of tuning off and like spending time with their family and making their kids be active. And yeah, so that is kind of a pleasant outcome of this entire Yeah, scenario. there's definitely some silver lining. And I also have been cooking, which is rare because typically any other time you walk into my house, my refrigerator, like I look like a total bachelor. There's just nothing but beer and liquor in my refrigerator. <laughs> there's some condiments <laughs> and then yeah. there's coffee, of course. So I've been cooking and I've made like all kinds of stuff where I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty good. Like just looking up recipes, like things that I've never made before. So, yeah. so there are some positives that we can maybe take away from this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Before we get into it, Manicore Arms. So I was helping out a local gun store nearby about a week ago, and somebody was looking at buying a CZ Scorpion, and um, he noticed, he's like, well, you know, the safety lever, it just keeps getting, it's like rubbing on my index finger. And mm -hmm. I'm like looking at it, I'm like, you're right. It's like, it's just sticks out very awkwardly, and you can't help but rub your finger on it as you're gripping the gun. And one of the things that Manicore Arms makes are... Just, I mean, just simple products that make things so much more comfortable to use. So he mm -hmm. makes a Scorpion Evo E3 safety lever, and it's literally $24.95. You can get that at manicorearms.com. So really affordable. But if you use that code GUNFUNNY15, you will get 15% off. All right, let's get into it. 
Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. You know, I was just thinking uh, with my, I have a Patreon. And so anyone who's a Patreon, which means you pledge to um, help the show, you can just go to patreon.com forward slash gunfunny. But if you're a Patreon, you get access to the gunfunny Facebook group. And just recently, I um, I posted a video where I'm like, okay, guys, tomorrow I'm making banana bread. I'm going live. If you guys want to make the banana bread too, like these are the ingredients that you need. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's tough times and we're doing whatever to keep ourselves uh, preoccupied and entertained. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I call it Ava's little cooking show, you know. It's amazing. <laughs> right. All Branching right. out in our expertise. Yeah. Right? There you go. Hannah, so for people who don't know like your role in the firearms industry, can you just give like a brief history of your background and then um, pretty much everything leading up to your current position at Six Hour? Sure. So I started as a local police officer at the whopping age of 21. Um, I actually got hired at 20, but because I was underage, I had to wait until I was 21 to go to the academy. Um, spent the better part of 10 years in local law enforcement. I transferred into federal law enforcement, spent just over five years with the Federal Air Marshal Service, and uh, went from there to Sig Sauer Academy as a instructor. So kind of uniquely, the uh, Air Marshal Service didn't have a range because I was stationed in the Boston field office, which is obviously city, mm -hmm. um, city surrounding. So they hold a lease as their uh, for their training facility with Sig Sauer Academy. So uh, I was approached by one of the director or lead instructors at the time with the academy if I wanted to come on board and teach some of their classes, um, women's only classes and also, you know, co-ed, just general, general classes. And at the time I was um, a trainer in the, in the training division at the Air Marshal Service. So I was at the range quite often. So I took that job as a part-time instructor with Six Hour Academy along with my federal law enforcement gig. And I did that for about two years. And then unbeknownst to me, the director at the time of SIG Academy came to me and gave me a full-time offer, which would, for the very first time in my career, leave me at home and not traveling and have the ability to have a personal life and spend holidays and weekends with my family. So it was kind of a hard transition to make at first, um, but I dove in head first and I was uh, Six Hour Academy's first ever full-time female firearms instructor. Wow. Um, I spent five years with them um, and then I was promoted to headquarters to the director of training and special events. Wow. So my division now has 12 employees that are kind of um, situated throughout the United States into sales regions. And their responsibility is training our dealers and retailers about our product, how to sell them, and also hosting live fire events for uh, the public to come to and try out our product um, and things of those sorts. So 
that's about 15 years in a, in a quick couple of minutes. <laughs> that's crazy. It's crazy that you started so young because when you filled out the show notes and you said that you've, you know, like had so many, uh, like so many years of experience with law enforcement and I'm like looking at your pictures and I'm like, okay, you definitely don't look old enough to have that much experience, but it well, makes I'm sense. I'm the size of a child, but I, <laughs> I definitely have age on me. <laughs> well, I just, I was like trying to do the math, like, huh, that's crazy, you know? But, um, that's really, that's really interesting. What made you want to go into law enforcement? You know, I was never one of those people that thought like, Ooh, I want to be a cop. Mm -hmm. Um, no one in my family is in law enforcement. So kind of the draw was I went to college for criminal justice. I thought I wanted to be a criminal law attorney. Mm -hmm. And during my internship with the law school, during my junior year of college, uh, part of my internship was to sit in on criminal trials. And I had an aha moment while I was sitting there thinking, this defense attorney knows that this suspect is 100% guilty, but he is doing everything in his power to get him up off of what he had done. Mm-hmm. And I just knew instantly I couldn't do that. Yeah. So then kind of had a change in direction and thought, well, I could go the prosecutorial um, route and have endless school loans to pay for years to come at a minimum salary, mm-hmm. um, or I could try law enforcement. So I started applying for law enforcement while I was still in college. I actually got hired before I finished my senior year, worked midnights and went to school uh, during the day for my first year of my law enforcement career. And, you know, kind of jumped off there, liked it, was successful at it, and just continued on. So did you have any firearm training before you went to law enforcement? No. And this is kind of the funny part of where I sit today. Never shot a gun, um, never had been exposed to a firearm until I was hired as a cop. And I was the world's worst shooter. (laughs) Like when I tell you bad and in defense of my department, uh, they didn't have proper training. So obviously they offered me zero training. Yeah. And I was so bad that I got my gun taken away from me twice for not qualifying. Oh, man. Um, And I can remember my uh, captain at the time coming down, who's still a very good friend and was a great mentor throughout my career. He came down to the range. I literally had gone through the qualification like 45 times at this point. And he was like, Jesus Christ, Hannah, we have an ammo budget. (laughs) Like, you need to get it together. And I just was like frozen in not knowing how to fix it, not being offered any uh, resolve or, or, you know, training Mm -hmm. um, to be able to be successful at it. So I was frozen in fear and anxiety when it came to running my gun. And I think probably like five years in, I finally like, so even more frightening that I carried a gun on my hip on a daily basis in the public supposed to be protecting the public. And Mm -hmm. I literally couldn't utilize it properly. That's really scary. It is. But probably, yeah, five years in, I was like, you know what? I cannot be crippled by the anxiety of like having a qualification coming up. Yeah. Like, and not sleeping for a week ahead of it. So I was like, I've got to get it together and figure it out. So uh, I started training and trying, I I met another um, cop in my agency that was able to like kind of 
communicate properly to me because the other people that I had, you know, it's traditional law enforcement training where they kind of yell at you and mm-hmm. um, just wasn't hearing the message of how to get better. So I finally found someone that was able to communicate with me and make a little bit of tweaks in my technique at the time that was able to get me to a place where I could shoot. I could qualify and shoot. I still wasn't good. So part of the reason I applied to the Air Marshal Service is a disclaimer on their website says you have to be the best shooter in the world in order to get hired and their qualifications are the hardest in any federal law enforcement. And I was like, okay, why not? Let's do this. If I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn. And so I was super nervous. Didn't think I would get hired because my shooting skills weren't up to snuff. Got hired and that's really where my training started. Wow. And that was about five years in? Yeah, that was in 2009. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Five years in, I started training more at the um, at the local police level. Mm-hmm. Year nine is when I got started putting my applications out to federal law enforcement. No, maybe it was year eight. Year eight. Um, and then finally got hired just around nine and a half years into my local law enforcement career with the feds. Wow. And from there... It was all kind of history. So did you ever seek professional training or was it just training that you would get? I was so ignorant that I didn't even know how to do that. So ignorant to the firearms industry that I had like no knowledge of even how to get there. Yeah. So I just thought that the law enforcement training was like the training that I needed, that a civilian wouldn't be able to help me or a training academy was foreign to me at that time. All I knew was the police academy. Yeah. That's kind of where I put all my faith. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for me until later on. (laughs) (laughs) I started getting really good training once I got hired into the feds. Fletzy did a tremendous job with me. We literally shot almost on a daily basis, thousands upon thousands of rounds. And then after graduating, and I'm sorry, Fletzy, I know uh, law enforcement, military with their acronyms. Uh, Flatsy is Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Okay. Um, so after I graduated there, I went into a secondary training with the Air Marshal Service, um, where I put they put a lot of effort into shooting and hand to hand and mission tactics and things like that. So we spent two hundred plus hours uh, quarter training, and that's where I really started to perfect my craft. And then uh, when Sig picked me up, they really kind of honed in on making me the best shooter that I could be. So farmed me out to, you name it, you name a a trainer in the industry that offers a class. I've probably been in their class. Um, So I've had a lot of exposure with different techniques and just kind of adopted what's worked best for me. And what kind of techniques was it that you learned? If you don't mind me asking, like, how did you really like hone in on um, so I was a mess with recoil management in my pistol. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, local police, uh, I ran a 5906 and 45 Smith & Wesson, um, which was like literally a hand cannon. Mm-hmm. So you can understand why I would have recoil problems. Air Marshal Service, I had a 229 and 357 SIG, which is a real fast flippy round on that gun. So I was having some hand separation with my grip, which was causing me to be slower to get back on target for, you know, secondary or follow-up shots. Um, so I had to really get in and kind of down and dirty and figuring out how to perfect that with what was given to me. Mm-hmm. So Jeff Gonzalez was instrumental in helping me with my grip. 
I had like body movement issues, which was causing lag time. And, and these are all like minute issues that you have to kind of filter through. So body movement issues and in techniques of how I was running the gun, especially when you incorporate movement. Also, I had a brain freeze. So Kyle Lamb helped me significantly with my body movement issues and just making things a little bit smoother from getting into out of the holster and moving. And then I had a mental issue with, uh, in, in the law enforcement world, we're liability focused. So it's uh, own every shot. Everything's very regimented. Uh, I can remember when I first learned to pull a trigger, it was pull the trigger, hold it to the rear, listen and wait for the, uh, to hear the audible trigger reset and then follow up shots. So it's very like, you know, militaristic regimented in, in how you run things, mm-hmm. which doesn't equate to speed. Yeah. So I, I have a hard time, like being a com- competition shooter would be difficult for Hannah because of my mind. Yeah. And so uh, Travis Haley helped me a lot with the mental components um, and huh. just kind of working through those. Very nice. That's because I think, um, so I'm, I'm an instructor and I've been teaching for about seven years now, but it's like, I've tried so many different ways to, you know, manage that recoil because sometimes you'll look at somebody and they shoot and it's like the gun doesn't even move. And, and I've tried all kinds of different techniques and it's like, I still, that's like what I'm still trying to work on. And it's just so frustrating. So I think like the smallest details in our shooting is like the hardest thing to kind of master. And I feel like you're never done with improving because there's always work to be done. So for recoil, uh, two of the things that have helped me tremendously is understanding how to position my body behind the gun Mm -hmm. and how gun that's actually in my hands. So weight distribution of my body, and then also just having a proper grip. And for me, it's to not be lazy, which I know sounds awful, but I have to apply a certain amount of pressure to manage recoil accordingly, Mm -hmm. but I can shoot the gun without that pressure, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. I have to tell myself like, no, like, because it's not comfortable to, you know, I'm not death gripping the gun, but I have to apply a forceful amount of pressure, especially depending on what I'm shooting. Yeah. So those, those two things have helped me tremendously. And then I got to ask, do you kind of do, do you do the push pull? Do you do like the squeeze? Do you, you know, like kind of like maybe flex your elbows a little bit so that the recoil kind of goes in your arms as opposed to like your entire body? If that yep. makes so sense. I, so a little bit of, of everything, I guess. Um, so I, I do have flex in my elbows so that I'm not, and that was a, a earlier shooting problem of mine that I would lock everything out and mm-hmm. it caused more issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have a little bit of flex in my elbows. If you've ever taken or heard Jeff Gonzalez teach, he talks about a crush grip and essentially what that is, is just equal pressure. And then, uh, my body. So my body position, I really have to, I'm small. So I'm five to 130 pounds. So especially if I'm running a rifle or a larger caliber gun, I really have to be locked in and concentrating on how I'm putting my body behind the gun. So I have to roll my weight kind of aggressively forward. And my stance is a little more aggressive than a normal, you know, normal sized human. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I have a little more of a, of a separation between my dominant and non-dominant foot, my dominant foot is back quite a bit more so than the average person. Like it's no noticeable. And that literally is just to help with recoil management. Hmm, interesting. 
Very cool. Well, thanks for all the the tips. Yeah, you got it. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about SB Tactical. So a lot of people have asked if, you know, by putting a brace on their gun, if that makes it an SBR. And I guess just being in the firearms industry, I just assume that people know that it won't. But if you're not in the firearms industry and you're not doing a ton of research, I can understand why a lot of people would get confused. So I just want to set the record straight that if you put any of the braces on your gun, you know, like your AR pistol or something, you are not, you know, creating an SBR. You don't need a tax stamp for it. And, uh, everything that you'll find on SB Tactical's website, you know, is, is in fact a brace. It's not a stock. And you can find that at sb-tactical.com. Use the code gunfunny and that will get you 15% off. So Hannah, I recently read something that you wrote and it was about keeping your personal and your professional life separate, which I know nowadays, I think it's, it's hard not to combine the two just because people spend, I mean, most people are spending more time at work than they are on their personal life. And I've noticed that a lot of people do sort of combine the two. So how do you manage to not intertwine them? So I think that I've just been doing it for so long. I can remember my dad giving me advice. He was a tough old Irish Catholic father with strict kind of staunch morals and, and guidelines to live life by. Mm -hmm. And when I was going into law enforcement, he was like, well, whatever you want to do, baby, but you know, I, you need to be, have those guys take you seriously. So Mm -hmm. make sure your behavior is indicative of that. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember, you know, law enforcement is a tough world to kind of jump into and, um, you know, five foot two blonde hair, blue eye, kind of stereotypical, college girl running into, you know, a PD where I was the only female hired at the time was going to be kind of a tough battle for me. So I went in there, I put my head down, I did everything that I needed to do at work to gain the trust and respect of the fellow cops that I worked with. And I knew that in doing that, um, my personal life had to be kept separate because anything I think just human nature, anything that anyone can have to judge an, another person mm-hmm. uh, by can can dictate how you're treated or uh, regarded in that forum. So I knew that I needed to keep my dating life separate at the time I was single and just kind of was, I'm kind of private introvert by nature anyway. So tried to do that to the best of my ability. And then you know, just continue. When I worked for the feds, we weren't allowed to have social media. So the social media world is very new to me. I've only been on social media for maybe four years. And I I found that, you know, in my earlier law enforcement days, uh, I watched other women get hired after me, you know, younger women. And I watched them make those mistakes that I was fortunate enough to have the guidance to not make. Yeah. And it literally labeled their career to this day, I see them and they're still not respected, mm-hmm. you know, and it may have just been one slip up, one, you know, stupid thing that you do when you're in your twenties and, you know, it made their, their career a lot harder than it yeah. needed to be. So, um, I found it important to, to keep that boundary intact, you know, through my federal career and, and now into my career at SIG as well. And, and selfishly, I say, like, I'm new to social media. My significant other doesn't have social media. So it's very easy for me to keep all of my stuff away from the majority. <laughs> yeah. 
Definitely. And I think that that's great advice, um, especially kind of, you know, being a female in a male dominant industry. And it's funny because thinking about it, like if police officers were to date, you know, let's say males were to date females, like it doesn't ruin their career. But as a female that's in a male dominated industry, it typically does. And that's the same thing with like the firearms industry. And, you know, and then it just, as always, like with any workplace, if you date somebody and now you have to constantly see them and it's like, you know, and it's like, I've kind of learned the hard way. I dated somebody that was in the same industry and it's like, I can't stand to see them now, but you know, everyone's kind of an adult, but I mean, that is, that is definitely, like I said, good advice. Just- Unfortunately, it is a very jaded standard and it's awful to say out loud, but that's the reality we live in. And- it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just important that we acknowledge that and we kind of make our life decisions based around that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same reason why when I started out, I made the conscious decision, like I'm not going to dress like half naked on my social media. I mean, if anything, I'm always wearing like high, you know, high collared shirts and like, I look like a nun in my social media. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's true though. I mean, you know, everybody has their way of kind of making their themselves successful and, you know, jumping into the social media world. Uh, when I first started with SIG, it was like kind of the time of the gun bunny mm-hmm. when they first started hitting the gun industry. And, you know, SIG Sour has very vanilla when it comes to that type of marketing. They never do yeah. uh, any overt messaging whatsoever. So I'm fortunate in having that. But our clientele is awful, also a little bit different than some of the other companies in the industry. So, yeah. Um, well, I think luckily, I think that that a lot of that is kind of going away and a lot mm-hmm. of companies aren't using that as like their main form of advertising, because I've said this before, you know, if, if your products don't speak for themselves and you have to get like a good looking half naked woman to bring attention to your products, there's probably, you know, so. Um, Correct. And also the people that are purchasing from a half naked woman who's advertising, probably aren't your people who are going to have longevity in the buyer's market. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that the the serious shooters want to shoot your product. They don't want to see a naked girl holding uh-huh. it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. So wrapping up, like what are your, like, do you have any future plans coming up? Oh gosh. I mean, I have a lot, like, again, I keep kind of my, my personal stuff. I'm a, a ADD, ADHD, all those type of things. So I have a lot of personal goals um, professional goals. Uh, we're two years into the training division's inception, and we've kind of become a well-oiled machine at this point. So it's just growing that, uh, making sure that we're keeping engaged with our customer base and that we can do more for our dealers and retailers to kind of spread the SIG word. Very nice. All right. And do you have time to stay with me for the rest of the show? Yes, ma'am. You got all the time in the world, right? I've got, I've got all <laughs> the time in the world. <laughs> Oh, this is the highlight of my week. All right. <laughs> Speaking of another highlight is uh, Sportsman's Guide. So summer is right around the corner, which I can't tell you how thankful I am because I'm so over winter and I'm hoping that it doesn't snow anymore uh, because my plants, you know, my garden's starting to like get green and it's just, it's a beautiful sight. So really hoping that weather's behind or that the winter's behind us. I was on Sportsman's Guide because I'm actually looking for a kayak because my two friends, they always kayak. And I'd like to join them. And Sportsman's Guide does, in fact, sell a ton of, like, 
water, you know, like floaties. Uh, they do have a few kayaks on there. They have all kinds of stuff. Like it's literally like the one-stop shop and, uh, you can find their stuff at sportsmansguy.com. If you use the code gunfunny20, you will get $20 off your purchase of $100 or more. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. So there's been a lot of interesting events unfolding ever since, you know, the whole coronavirus thing happened. And, uh, you know, people were referring to it as the uh, the flugaloo. Uh, so it definitely increased a lot of sales. Gun sales have just been, I mean, through the roof. And then there's been a lot of other like, you know, anti 2A reactions. So California and several other states are letting people out of jail because of the virus. So some of them that maybe only have like a month or so left on uh, their time, they're letting them out sooner. And that's just because at this point, I guess jails are sort of like a breeding ground, you know, for the virus to go around. Multiple police agencies aren't sending officers to calls if the crime's non-violent. Jurisdictions in New York, California, Wyoming, and many other states are closing gun stores, not allowing exemptions. L.A. County ordered gun stores closed and added 1,300 deputies to patrol. But then, because everyone complained, L.A. County uh, revoked the order to close gun shops. So they, you know, so now they're, they're back in business. But yeah, nothing like, you know, letting out a bunch of criminals and then closing gun stores and <laughs> it just sounds like a bad movie. Um, it's insane. It is like, I, like every time I read the news headlines at this point, I'm just like, I swear I'm part of like a social experiment. It's just, <laughs> it's really hard to even fathom that this is all going on. Illinois, for example, like surprisingly, they actually granted gun stores an exemption to remain open because they considered it essential, which was surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, that was surprising for me as well because yeah. their gun laws are so strict. Oh yeah. And it's, and you know, I think it's like, it's smart to keep gun stores open because right now the reason why gun sales are skyrocketing is because nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows like, you know, if the economy is going to go to crap, if there, you know, if there isn't enough food for people to eat or just people aren't, you know, now like there's so many people out of work. And as a result, when all of that kind of combines, you know, a lot of crime increases. So what you're seeing is a lot of the people that are buying guns. Um, most of them are, are new, new to the shooting world. Like they're buying their first gun ever in their their entire life. And it's interesting because as an instructor, so I've still been teaching about three classes a week. And lately I've kind of gotten a little ballsy where I just asked them like, Hey, you know, not like I'm judging or anything, but just out of curiosity, like what made you want to buy a gun now? And how did you feel about guns beforehand? And they're all kind of saying the same thing. Like they realize like, Hey, the government's not going to be there to protect them. Like things are getting crazy. And really the only thing that they have for protection is a firearm. And a lot of them have said that before this, they were anti-gun and now it's kind of opened their eyes to realize that, you know, they're kind of in charge of their own safety. So super interesting, just lots of interesting things going on. Yeah. And I actually think it's like, I view it almost as a little a bit of a positive, like the state of where we are right now. And I know it's going to sound a little crass, but like in life in general, when you fail and fall flat on your face, you have two options, either like 
wallow in your misery and stay where you are flat on your face Mm -hmm. or like get up and and get after it. So like failure drives us. Yeah. So for these like anti-gun people who haven't done proper research, gotten proper training, who are now like thrown into this uncertainty of the world and are feeling like they need a way to protect themselves. They're going out and buying guns. Like this is like positive for our industry in that as long as they get proper training, I should say, but in that we have more people that are engaged now and they understand the reasons why they're not, you know, like all those you hear all the time, like you've got to keep, you know, you've got to train um, before something happens. So all of us in the industry have been training for years, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, personal defense hand to hand or behind a firearm for the, what ifs? like, what if my safety was compromised? That's why I continue to train. And you have your people who don't understand that mindset. Like she's psycho. Like don't mess with Hannah. She's crazy. Yeah. So now they're in the parameter that we've been preaching about. And so I think that that can only breed uh, a better kind of understanding for our industry. Definitely. Although I am curious to see if things go back to normal, if they're going to continue to own their gun or if they're just going to like get rid of it. Or, you know, if this actually did kind of change their mindset or if it's like, okay, well, that's over. I'm going to go back to like hating guns. And then also uh, Pennsylvania. So originally they were, you know, they closed down gun stores and factories. But then uh, FPC, Firearms Policy Coalition, took action. And now Pennsylvania also revoked that order to close gun stores. And I know that uh, some of my friends like IWI, they're located in Pennsylvania. They were temporarily shut down, but now they're able to have a few people uh, go to that factory and work. Also, another thing that's kind of weird is a lot of states, Colorado included, they've suspended processing concealed carry permits. So even if you've taken the class, you have to wait until the sheriff's office opens up again and they're allowing concealed carry applications. Multiple cities, including New Orleans, passed emergency measures that would allow them to seize personal assets, including firearms, which I believe they did this uh, around the time of the hurricane. They were knocking on people's doors and people were just handing them over, which is so stupid. I mean, I don't know. It's, and now I'm like, I can maybe understand with the hurricane, like maybe, you know, with any sort of natural disaster, your firearms get like, you know, they go wherever. But in this kind of situation, I don't really see a need for, for them to do this. I don't know. It's weird. I'm in agreement with you on that. Yeah. It it seems a little bit crazy. I mean, I, I do see a flip side to the hurricane thing, especially if homes are being evacuated and, and uh, left empty and, or those people are traveling into other States that it could compromise, you know, uh, yeah. carrying those firms through States, things like that. But but in God, this it's case, your personal property, it seems yeah. strange that people would be so willing to hand them over. Absolutely. Gun sales, they've seen about a two to 300% increase. Nick's right now is severely delayed. Um, I know in Colorado background checks that typically take honestly, like maybe five to 10 minutes, they are, we're now taking three days. So, and I know it's different in every state. Ammo sales have gone. I mean, just they've completely skyrocketed basically leaving, I mean, pretty much nothing on the shelves. And 
this was, I mean, it's not just like 22 or it was like, you know, a few years ago, you couldn't find 22 LR anywhere. This is like every caliber, unless you have like, you know, I've seen like a few calibers that are left, like weird ones, like 32 ACP and, you know, stuff that like most people don't even own, like that is kind of available here and there. Um, but even then, you know, a lot of the prices have been gauged or gouged. I'm sorry. I think people are just grasping at straws too. I had a conversation with it believe it or not, my mortgage broker the other day. And he was like, yeah, I went in to buy some ammo and thought about buying another gun. He's like, they literally had nothing left but a 22. So I just bought the 22 and the 22 ammo. I'm wow. like, okay, well. Yeah, that's crazy. They, I mean, it's, it's, it is crazy how like, I mean, right now the gun industry is booming, but the only problem with that is, and we talked about this before the show, is that a lot of these companies, like they can't keep up with the demand and then a lot of their products are imported. So right now, you know, if everything's shut down, so they can't even like import the products. If people are, you know, if they have to stay at home and they can't go to work, they can't make these products. So long-term, it's probably going to be a little while before, you know, even the firearms industry gets back on their feet and is able to restock guns and ammo. Yeah. It's, it it is a a tough place to be in. Like Sig Sauer obviously is essential business because of our government law enforcement and military contracts that we hold. Um, We have to get those guns out to those people that are still fighting on the, you know, front lines for our freedom. Yeah. It is, uh, overwhelming process that the company has to go through to make sure that that factory is kept sterile and there's no exposure because one person winds up sick and that entire factory is shut down. Mm -hmm. And then we have our, you know, troops overseas and our uh, law enforcement here waiting on uh, their weapons to do their job. So it is overwhelming to say the least. It definitely is. And then on top of that, the House and the Senate have both introduced extremely wide sweeping anti-gun bills. Uh, one is the HR 5717 and the S3254. And it includes every anti-gun push seen in recent years, including ban gun ownership without a government license, ban your rifles, ban your magazines, ban suppressors, banned home builds, create a national gun registry, set up a nationwide gun confiscation scheme, tax guns at 30% and ammo at 50%. And, uh, there's a lot more far reaching provisions. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's insane. So I think while all this is going on, everyone's preoccupied with, you know, the coronavirus, they're trying to kind of move their agenda, you know, get everything, uh, approved without us even, you know, really paying much attention. And it's, it's just crazy. Like all it's literal madness. Like as you're reading through that list, all I'm hearing is like, wah, 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 yeah. wah. like it's like who in their right mind, like do your research, get out there, take a class, learn, mm-hmm. understand what's going on in the industry. And if you, if one politician did that, I assure you half of their crazy, uh, you know, proposals that they push forward will be out the door. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. This is honestly, at this point, things like this, I'm like, I'm so glad I don't have kids right now. And I probably will never have kids. Like, I don't think kids is really my thing, but I couldn't even imagine like having a kid during this time. Like for one, I'd be stuck at home and they'd probably drive me crazy as much as I'd probably love them. But even my dog right now is like, drive me crazy. But, (laughs) um, but I mean, even just like the direction that the world's heading in, and then to it's ban crazy. all of these things, like there's no rationale behind so many of these. 
Yeah, it really is. And the financial bailout that we're talking about, it literally is going to cripple the American economy. And I just, I fear for the younger generation's future for sure. I mean, I know it's going to impact us significantly, but gosh, for the the generations to come, uh, I don't know. I have no words. Yeah, I, I know. I agree. Yeah, and it's like, well, the government, they'll just print out more money and problem solved. (laughs) I don't know. This whole thing is just crazy. All right. Well, putting that aside, moving forward, Sharps Bros, uh, something a little more positive. They've updated their live wire receiver, and it includes an Ambi Bolt release. So they're not going to change the part number or its price. Um, MSRP is still around 215 and map price is 199 So in the next few weeks, when you see them online or in stores, it will be the newest model. But that's kind of cool that it includes an Ambi Bolt release. And now it's time for Q&A. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. So I thought this question was kind of interesting because I've often thought about it myself. So it says, would you prefer to date a guy who was in the same industry and was really into guns and or was really into guns or someone who isn't anti-gun but doesn't have much or doesn't know much about them? What do you think, Anna? I think it depends on the person. I think you can work in the same industry with your significant other if they are a mature kind of pulled together individual. Yeah. I think it, no matter how you look at it, it would be difficult to work in the same capacity, you know, as, as the person that you share your home life with. But I think it wholeheartedly depends on the, the quality of that person and how they're able to kind of mitigate those circumstances, I yeah. guess, for lack of better terminology. And, um, yeah, I, I think I, I've been in both scenarios, I guess. So speaking from experience, um, so that anti-gun, if they don't have knowledge of the industry, it brings this whole kind of, um, component of insecurity. And again, it's wholeheartedly dependent on the person, I think, you know, the unknowns and not understanding the culture and the industry itself can be troublesome for someone that doesn't know, Mm -hmm. um, especially if they have different views towards the industry that you, you know, pour your heart and soul into. So, yeah, I guess I think that's not a clear answer, but I think it depends on the person. (laughs) Yeah, no, it, it makes total sense. I don't know for me. So I have dated, you know, I've dated, uh, my last two relationships, they were kind of in the industry and I've noticed that it's like, there's a lot of jealousy. Like if you, you know, if you sign a big contract or get sponsored by a certain company, it's like the lock, like they're happy, but like deep down, they're kind of like low key jealous. And I just can't deal with that. Cause I would just assume that, you know, if you're dating somebody, you'd always want the best for them and be generally like happy for that person. And then it's, you know, and then if they're like obsessed with guns, if let's say they're not in the industry, but they're like obsessed with guns. Sometimes like when I'm not working, I don't want to talk about guns. But 100%. they would, you know, but they would be like, oh yeah, did you see this? And this AK just came out and the special ammo and blah, blah. And you're like, just shut up. You're like, how about like spaghetti and meatballs? I'm good. <laughs> exactly. So that tends to kind of annoy me as well. But then also when you talk about the industry and you have to explain every little thing because they have no idea like who that person is or, you know, the background of that company, then it's just kind of frustrating because you're like, all right, we might as well not even talk about it because I have to you know, explain the entire story behind it. 
so I don't know. I the the relationships that have worked out better for me, they weren't in the industry and they weren't anti-gun. It is hard to teach your significant other. You know, you get a little frustrated, I think, but ultimately, I don't know. I think that that's kind of what I would prefer at this point is just somebody who wasn't like super into guns, but obviously I could not date somebody who was anti-gun. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in, in the happy medium in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like somebody who was like, Hey, you know, if I was like, you want to go and, you know, go to the range with me and shoot. And they're like, yeah, definitely. But they're not like every weekend, you know, when you finish your nine to five job working in guns, like, Hey, let's go to the range. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, it's yes. like, all right, yep. simmer down. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So if that guy's out there, uh, call me. Definitely call me. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably not listening to this podcast, though. (laughs) Uh, All right. Moving forward. Polymer 80. So Polymer 80 just released their P320 grip and kind of interesting. I think they actually just released it a few days ago and I think it sold out within, I don't know, a few hours that they released it from my understanding because SIG, it's the serialized part is the trigger pack, correct? Correct. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you prefer, I guess it just depends what grip you prefer, but if you wanted to replace that, some people like the angle of the Palm Rady. It's more of like a 1911 type angle. So there's that. And you can find that. Well, hopefully they're restocked by the time the show comes out. Palmer80.com. Use the code GUNFUNNY and you'll get 15% off. And now it's time for Tacti Talk. Tacti Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. All right. So Hannah, you wanted to talk about concealed carry options for women, which I think is great because I get asked this all the time and it's hard because I never really have a solid answer. I have lots of recommendations, but it's difficult because everyone's body is different. Their lifestyle is different. You know, if they have kids that they don't. So I'm kind of interested to see like what you have to say as far as um, all the options out there. Yeah. So it's always a, a kind of topic that's, you know, hard. It's hard for everyone. And you get the question consistent for males and females. Mm-hmm. I've kind of run the gamut. When I started my law enforcement career, there was literally nothing out there, literally nothing. So I used to kind of like make do. So obviously when I was in the air marshal service, deep cover was, was my job. And, and not even like you had to make sure you, your clothing wasn't even pressing in a funny angle. So back then, believe it or not, I used to wear a belly band that I had kind of rigged up with a, uh, I had like a trigger guard protector in it. So it was just a piece of hard Tidex that I shoved, had like kind of sewn into the side of the belly band. I had a, on the opposite side, I had mag pouch made. So like just kind of straps holding my magazines in place. I've had every fail point with concealment gear with from my magazine falling out of <sighs> uh, the position it was in, in the middle of the airport um, to my gun falling on the floor of the bathroom <laughs> in the airport in a stall. So I will say I haven't really found my, nothing's going to be perfect. So there's yeah. going to be adjustments for each individual. Like you said, body size, body style, lifestyle, all of those things come into play. Um, my go-to for the past five years, um, the thing that I can wear 
no matter what I'm doing. If I'm wearing a dress, if I'm wearing workout gear, if I just want to dress like a normal human being and I can get a gun on um, and not have issues concealing and not compromising my femininity. So we're women, we're materialistic by nature, I think. Yeah. And we want to look cute. We don't want to, you know, have to wear baggy clothes or conform to certain styles to be able to carry a gun. So um, the Dean Adams corset is kind of my go-to because it allows me to do a multitude of things. I can run with the gun in it. Um, It's comfortable. It's made of like a neoprene style material. I can dress normal with it. So I can wear it with jeans and a cute top. I can put it on with a dress. I can put it on with a workout top. Uh, So that is kind of been, and I've made alterations to that too, to make it work for me, just personal preference things. Mm -hmm. They have like a Velcro strap that holds the corset kind of pocket shut around the gun. And that to me was too prohibitive. So I've like removed that. I have a Kydex, um, you know, clamshell insert in mine, just because I like the security of having the gun holstered Mm -hmm. rather than kind of flopping around. And for reholstering purposes, it makes it a little bit easier to use. But other than that, that's kind of my my number one thing that I use. For me, like qualification on a good concealment piece of gear is being able to access the gun in under two minutes and get it up on target. So, mm-hmm. and that's from deep concealment. So I don't want to have complicated equipment. Yeah. We'll go back to my stature. I'm really small. I'm short. I'm 5'2". So I don't have a lot of waist space. And also uh, the inches that I have between my waistline and the top of my thigh is not much. So I have a very hard time concealing inside or outside the waistband, um, yeah. especially if we're talking about deep cover. So that has worked best for me. Yeah, I've had a hard time with inside the waistband as well. And I mean, every now and then, depending on what I'm wearing, I can get away with it. But Also just with like working out the last year and a half and like losing weight, like I worked hard to lose weight. So I don't want to put something inside my pants. It's going to make me look like I have like a belly or, you know, cause it sticks out a little bit and it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like, I always tell women, you know, whatever you're going to most likely use the most and obviously, and you know, I'll even say it like purse carry. So many instructors are against it and And I, you know, I mean, yeah, ideally you should have it on your body and it's going to be a lot more easily accessible. And a lot of women are irresponsible with their purse. They'll just lay it, you know, leave it lying around where lots of people can access it. But if you, you know, if you keep it on your shoulders at all times, like even when I go grocery shopping, I don't even put my, my purse in the cart, mostly because I'm a germaphobe, but it's on my, it's on my shoulder every time. And I've practiced drawing from it. And I know exactly where it is, where it's, you know, located. And actually one of the things that I, I've, uh, kind of, cause I'm also kind of a purse snob. So there has yet to be like any purse that they've come out with where I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing because I like quality and, you know, and I want it to look good. So those two typically don't go hand in hand. Um, mm-hmm. and if they do, they're like $500, which I'm like, yeah, hard pass. So what I've done is I've gotten the, um, the sticky holster actually is, is pretty good. Yep. It actually works pretty well, especially if you're just hiking, you have leggings on that mm-hmm. definitely stays in place. And I've been a pretty big fan of that. It's not, it obviously makes you look like you have a little bit of a belly, but when you're hiking, mm-hmm. you're not around a ton of people. But what I've right. done is I'll take that. So it's obviously covering up most of my gun, especially the trigger and the trigger guard. And then I've kind of made my own where I take Velcro and I put 
you know, one side of the other. So I know exactly it stays in place. It's sticking up and the emblem of my purse is always sticking out. So I know exactly where it is in my purse at all times. And I just make sure that I buy a purse that, you know, has a lot of different compartments and I designate one compartment to that gun. So there's nothing else that's going to get, you know, and again, ideally, you know, I would rather people carry on their body, but I live in the real world where it's like, you know, especially with summer coming around, you're wearing shorts, a tank top, you may not always be able to have a gun on you. So I'd rather have, you know, the option of like have it in my purse where there's still that chance that I could, you know, that it could save my life as opposed to not have anything. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with you. I don't, uh, wish away off body carry at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I just always like when people ask me, I point out to them, like, you know, there's going to be a lag time for you getting access to your gun. Don't mm-hmm. just throw your gun in your purse. Like it has to have a yeah. designated space. Just like you said, even if you have to make adjustments to your purse of choice in that you, you know, sew in a Kydex holster or, so, you know, have, yeah. have a Velcro attached to it so that you know where it is. And also practice drawing from it. Cause like, if you're just going to buy a gun and whip it in your bag, and then you have to go and get it. Like, I know that I've been in situations that have been nerve wracking and looking back at them, I'm like, well, I just wasn't processing and acting as I should have been. Like, that's what's going to happen if you have to pull your gun out. So make sure you know exactly where it is and what you have to do to get there Mm -hmm. um, so that you're not fumbling and acknowledging that it is going to, you know, be a little bit of a setback, but a setback is better than not having an option at all. Yeah, definitely. Another thing that I actually like when it first came out, I wasn't a big fan, but it's kind of grown on me is the flashbang holster. Yes, I would agree with you. I, uh, I've, I have not personally tried it, but I remember the downfalls to it when it initially came out. I want to say like eight or nine years ago, maybe yeah, it's, longer. It's been a while. Um, and, but I've seen girls, uh, just recently with videos of it and it actually looks like it might be a fairly decent option. Yeah. And, um, I mean, so it actually, it's, it's actually pretty clever. Like at first when it came out, I'm like, okay, well that's really stupid. Like one who wants added weight, like pulling on their bra, <laughs> like gravity's right. already taken its place, you know, the older we get. <laughs> but then, um, I think it was like at shot show one year where they were allowing women to try it on. And that's the first time that I, I tried it on. And I was like, you know, this is actually, it's comfortable. It doesn't limit your mobility. It's not like you have something in your pants where it's like, you know, even to reach down, tie your shoes, difficult. Mm you have quick access. You literally pick up your shirt a little bit, pull it out. You know, it's like that clamshell holster and Mm -hmm. that button. The only thing that I don't like about it, but this is also kind of good to have is that button is super hard to get on and off. So once it's on there, it's definitely not falling off anytime soon. I mean, you got to like really, you know, like work with it in order to get it on and off. So, and, and it's also, it's Kydex, it's molded for your specific model of firearm. So, you know, I don't think that that's, uh, I don't think that's a bad design. And then they came out with the Teddy, which is, it's a kind of leather. So it's soft. So it's not just like the plastic sitting up against your skin. So yeah, but there you go, guys. I'll have to try it out for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's nice and, and like, it's really easy to conceal. I mean, I know every woman's different, but I, I would say for most like 90% of women, I I don't doubt that they couldn't use it. Yeah. And I think kind of the, the mental bottleneck for, you know, newer women in the gun realm is that they think that they have to have one thing to solve their problems. And 
like I don't wear the same pair of shoes every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you just have to have like a multitude of options for lifestyle. I mean, I default to the Dean Adams, but I do off body carry at times. I do outside the waistband, inside the waist. It just depends on what I'm doing and you know, what I'm wearing and, and all of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's this belly band that sometimes I'll wear, but I, I, I'll never wear it in the summer because it's like, I might as well wrap myself up in wool. You know, yes. just, yeah. <laughs> so, but in the winter it's fine. So yeah, mm -hmm. it definitely varies with, you know, with whatever you're doing in the season. A hundred percent. All right. Moving on. We are going to talk about trigger brew. So I don't know how it is where you are, but literally meat is sold out like everywhere. Like they're just now kind of starting to get caught up, but you could not find any meat in the grocery store. It was insane. And yeah, I don't, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Like the things like meat actually makes more sense than like, I guess, toilet paper and like some of the other things that you just absolutely can't find. Like flour, for example, don't even get me started. I had to go to like eight different stores. I finally found it online where it said it was at a specific store, went there. There was only two packages of flour left, but like even on Amazon, eBay, they were selling it for like $60 for freaking it's flour. Crazy. It is. Yeah. It's our stores here are empty, but kind of funny. My significant and I, as my significant other and I were, uh, were grocery shopping the other night. And, uh, I said to him, like, look around everything that's like crappy that you shouldn't be putting into your body is completely sold out. But like, actually we're very healthy eaters and like the grass fed beef, like the expensive, what people would label as expensive food yeah. items are in abundance. So, um, we really, the meat shelves were completely knocked out with the exception of like your T-bone steaks and things that actually cost money. Yeah. Um, so that worked to our advantage, but yeah, we are seeing similar here in Maryland. And there's a lot of produce too. That's, you know, that, um, is pretty stocked as well. Yep. So I guess, I think people are just probably stocking on like non-perishable stuff, which typically yeah. tends to be like junk food. I know, you know, I bought some chips and Pop-Tarts and cereal and little Debbie snacks and all right, we're just, we're not going to get into it, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come out of this like 30 pounds heavier. <laughs> I thought I about think everybody is with the I amount know. of baking and cooking and quarantine. I know. Sol solitary confinement. <laughs> oh man, it's crazy, crazy times we're living in. And then also you mentioned before the show that you were like, oh, I'm going to buy some weights. Maybe I'll work out. And you're like, there's no weights anywhere. And I, I kind of feel like I've been ahead of the curve like the entire time. And not to say like I'm super smart or anything, but I'm like, I've been like at least a week or two ahead of everyone. So two weeks ago, when I saw this coming, I'm like, all right, well, I can't go to my typical bar classes. So I'll have to do some, you know, online classes. So I'm like, well, let me order all the props that I use at bar. And even two weeks ago, it was hard for me to find just hand weights, like just stupid little like five pound hand weights, the bands, the core balls. I mean, everything was like sold out, but I did luck out and I got them. But now even my girlfriend, who's a fitness instructor, she's like, you can't find it anywhere. And it's crazy. It, it really is nuts. But I guess, we, um, I'm sorry, I well, cut you off. I was going to say, I guess, you know, people have that right, like the good mindset of getting fit. Yeah, 100%. I'm like kicking myself. I had a home gym before I moved to the DC metro area. Obviously, I had to give that up because homes are a lot smaller and taller here. Yeah. 
and uh, I have a Peloton, so that's been saving me. But I was like, oh, I should really, you know, I my weight training is suffering because the gym's closed. And I even looked at like the really expensive Bowflex, like adjustable dumbbells <laughs> yes, that are like $500. Yeah. Um, even those are sold out. So yeah, wow. I, I mean, I guess it's good that people are making healthy decisions as well as buying the junk food in the grocery store. Yeah. So, but with Trigger Brew, what I was going to say is not only do they sell amazing coffee, but they also have a variety of beef jerky. So it's kind of a nice alternative if you, you know, if, if your grocery store is sold out of all the meat and it has, you know, a pretty long shelf life. So I'd highly recommend their beef jerky. It's delicious. They have a bunch of different flavors. Head on over to TriggeredBrew.com. Use the code GUNFUNNY and that will get you 20% off. And now it's time for iTunes review. So guys, if you have not left an iTunes review, please do so. I really, really appreciate it, especially with all the extra time you guys have on your hands. You know, just uh, if, if you have an iPhone, it's really easy. Just go onto the podcast app, search for Gun Funny, and then uh, scroll down where you'll see ratings and you can leave a review. And I'm always picking a winner every episode. So first review is from Blue Honey are shot show 2025 stars i was so happy to get to spend time with ava and some of her besties during shot show oh my god i've never laughed so hard and so much they were all so accommodating it made me feel like part of the clan i cannot wait to run into the gun Funny crew again at and at nram although it's canceled in tennessee this year thank you all for being so down to earth love your show too keep up the great work next one is john 48 Noir podcasting five stars. Great episode of Coleon. He always brings a great perspective on how to get new people involved in the two way community. The only question is who will step up the challenge of having the new longest episode? Yeah, Coleon's show went I'm trying to think something just popped up where it said that my meeting's running out of time. Uh, <laughs> Coleon had a really long show. It was like over two hours. That guy can talk. But anyways, Hannah, out of those two, can you pick a winner to win one of the newest patches that I have that I've not even uh, put on the website yet? I'm going to go with the first one. All right. So Blue Honey, you are the winner. And on that note, we are going to be wrapping up. So you guys can find me at gunfunny.com. All the links are there. If you want to support the show, consider becoming a Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash gunfunny. There's lots of different levels. Also, Blown Deadline is giving away a $300 gift uh, certificate each month to a lucky Patreon. I also want to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Ryan Morrison, Michael Alexio, Elliot and Mike Pappas, Joe Lyons, and Justin Paulson. And King of the Patreons is still Jon Snow. He wants me to say that if you Google search Operator Tickles getting her ass kicked, it will generate zero results. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> and I wanted to thank our editor, Kenny Ortega, which this show is going to have quite a bit of edits because we had some internet connections. So Kenny, thank you so much for all your hard work and, and especially patience. And Hannah, thank you so much for spending time with me today and just kind of going over some really important topics and talking about yourself and just if anybody wants to find you, like on social media or anything like that, where can they find you? Again, I'm kind of a rookie to the social media world, so I only have Instagram. And it's my first name, H-A-N-A dot last name, B-I-L-O-D-E-A-U. Or they can contact me uh, through Six Hour uh, Communication Channels, my first dot last name at SigSour.com. Very nice. All right. On that note, we are out of here.
Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.